And what's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can always follow the podcast on our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, And you can listen to our podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Um, Great to be back with you folks this week. Um, You know, if you're new to the program, welcome. Um, If you're a, you know... Long time listener, great to great to be back with you folks on this uh, Monday morning with uh, plenty to talk about in the Boston sports uh, landscape, uh, if you will. Um, if you enjoy the program, you know, don't be afraid to to let us know on the social pages and um, you know reviews or ratings on Apple Podcasts that really uh, helps let me know you know where things are. Um, in terms of the listeners, so I appreciate that. Um, if you have uh, not listened to last week's uh, Guest Friday episode, you can do that as well. Um, had a great uh, interview that I put out, um, an old interview that I did from November 2018 with uh, Bruins legend Rick Middleton, who uh, was about to have his uh, jersey retired at the time of that recording four years ago, so uh, it was just a special little surprise for some of our loyal Bruins fan listeners, so I thought that was a, you know, fun thing to do, just to give you guys a special little insight onto an old interview that I did that was really fun, so I'm hoping to maybe in the next few months, you know, sprinkle in some more of those um, interviews that I've done uh, throughout my lifetime. It's just a fun way to let you folks, you know, get a, get a look into, you know, some of the maybe interviews that I did pre-podcast. So without further ado, I think we're going to get into it. Uh, We're going to start on the Bruins um, today, but obviously plenty of other topics too, you know, plenty of Patriot stuff to talk about, plenty of uh, Celtic stuff to talk about as well. And believe it or not, there's some Red Sox stuff that we need to get to as well with uh, the offseason really starting to heat up as the uh, winter meetings are approaching. So we're going to get into the Bruins first, um, and things just continue to just go very well for this team. Um, You know, the the record-setting start continues on home ice. The Bruins have, you know, extended an NHL record and have won 14 straight games at home uh, to start the season. They go for 15 tonight against none other than the Vegas Golden Knights. So uh, that will be a very fun game to watch tonight. Um, But I think just from the standpoint of someone who's watched this team for a very, very long time, you know, and really I think if you want to point back to, you know, really, I think that the night that I became a big Bruins fan was that, you know, game six in 2008 when the Bruins played uh, the Canadian Canadians at the Garden and, you know, forced the game seven in a series that the Bruins really had no business being in that series. Um, they forced it to a game seven. So, you know, as someone that has watched this team for so long, you know, seen all the teams come through in the last you know, 15 years or whatever, this is really and truly one of the deepest, if not the deepest, Bruins team that I've ever seen. 
Um, it's just top to bottom, line one to line four, de-pairing one to three. You know, the goaltending, it's just, there's just depth everywhere, you know, and I think that it is just pr pretty impressive. You know, almost how, I don't want to say easily, but the Bruins really did some very low-key things in the offseason. You know, a lot of people were maybe concerned that they didn't do enough, that, okay, you know, you're bringing back David Krejci, you know, yeah, you bring in Pavel Zaka, but it's like, you didn't really do much to improve, and it's like, clearly, they've done enough. You know, if you look at the way that Krejci has played, I mean, he's playing at just the same high level that you would expect him to play at. Pavel Zaka is playing at a career high level right now. You know, you're getting production, you're getting good, consistent play from Trent Frederick, from, you know, someone like A.J. Greer, someone like Nick Foligno. You know, you brought in Greer in the offseason. You had Nick Foligno. You know, not really sure what you were going to get from him after last season. But, you know, he's turned back the clock. He's playing excellent. And, you know, Jim Montgomery has Trent Frederick playing the best hockey of his career on the right side. We never knew he could play on the right side. So you just, you look at how deep they are and, how well certain guys are playing, and then, you know, you don't have to worry about the top-end guys, your Bergerons, your Marshans, your Pasternaks. You don't have to worry about these guys. And I think, you know, yeah, a lot of trepidation at the beginning of the season was, okay, how are they going to do with all these guys hurt? And guys, you know, developed into, developed into roles. Um while other guys were out, you know, you looked at Zaka, who got first-line minutes when, you know, Marchand had to miss the beginning part of the season. You know, Lindholm was able to step in as kind of that number one defenseman and played at probably the highest level of his career. You know, he's not playing as that high of a level now with McAvoy back, but he doesn't have to, you know. And I think... It's just, it's just truly amazing how you bring in a different coach, a different style, and it gets them playing at a level that, honestly, we've not seen since the Cup teams in 2011 and 2013. You know, that they're playing so confidently. They're so confident in what they're doing. They're so confident in their ability to come in and win any game in any style. You know, they can feel confident that if they fall behind by two or three goals, they have full confidence that they could come back. You know, and I think that, yes, it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, this is all, you know, rosy because they're 20 and three or, you know, whatever the record is, but they're just playing great hockey and they're fun to watch. They're never out of a game. You know, they, they love sticking up for each other. You know, it's just a really... It's been a joy. It's been a real joy to watch this team play and, you know, win games. And I know that there are certainly some people that are a little skeptical with the rate that they're winning games and thinking that, okay, are they really this good? And I think that 
you know, if you're one of those people that is, you know, not skeptical, but like, not sure about if this is going to carry through, you just look at the way that the Bruins have played against some teams that have come into the garden or, you know, teams that you've played that have given you their best shot. And the Bruins have responded. You know, I think nothing is more, it's not, nothing was more telling than that Black Friday game against the Hurricanes. Bruins fall behind 2-0. Carolina just kept power play after power play. They get a couple power play goals. The Bruins stay in it. They stay alive. They tie the game. And then they win the game in overtime. And so I think it's just the way that they've been able to withstand the team's best punches and respond. You know, and I think, look, if the Bruins start losing games, I don't really think it's a big deal because they've been able to, you know, pack so many points already. Um, But I just think that their commitment to playing hockey the right way has just been really, really great to watch. And I think it's awesome that they've been able to respond to a different coach's message and, you know, playing hockey a different way that they were used to for a long time. And I think that, yes, it's easy to think that, okay, a new coach comes in and guys are just going to have this new sense of confidence But I think that, you know, it could easily, you know, go sideways. You know, it could easily not work. But I think it's a credit to the players that they've been willing to say, okay, we've been used to playing a certain way for five or six years. We're willing to, you know, change and, you know, go with the flow and listen to a new coach that comes in. So... You know, it's just depth is everywhere. Goal scoring depth is everywhere. I mean, every game you're getting a a player that, you know, puts the puck in the net that, you know, historically or not historically, but like maybe last season we're not scoring goals. You know, you look at someone like Trent Frederick with two goals on Saturday night. I mean, those two goals that we saw on Saturday, I've not seen that Trent Frederick before. You know, that type of game you know, made me think and made me say to someone, he kind of looks like a, you know, poor man's Tom Wilson, you know, and not saying that Trent is a dirty player or anything like that, but, you know, Tom Wilson's a guy that can mix it up, but can also play and play really high, really, at a really high offensive level. You know, you saw Trent, you saw Frederick with, you know, his ability to get to the net, bury a rebound, or you know, score off a two-on-one, show off that great shot. You know, he's a guy that I think a lot of us were kind of not sure how he was going to respond to a new coach that I think the new coach, one of their kind of biggest things was, okay, how do you get more out of a player like him? And he's responded, and he's responded in a great way. You know, not lighting up the scoreboard by any means, but, you know, five goals and four assists in 20 games you know, that has him at half a point a game. So I think that you can get any type of offensive production out of him. You know, it makes you think, okay, maybe they can, you know, utilize his offensive skills a little bit more. And I think that was the idea putting Taylor Hall with Charlie Coyle that, okay, 
you can now try to see what type of offensive skills Trent Frederick has. You know, that you can have him play with a player like Taylor Hall, who has a penchant for getting high-quality scoring chances, putting pucks on net. And I think being someone that is a great fit with Trent Frederick and a great fit with Charlie Coyle. And I think that, you know, it seems like their games are really working well together, all three of them. And that's been noticeable for the last couple of games. And I think one of the things that I've thought about is I think it's a huge credit to Taylor Hall. It really is. Because I think coming into the season, we all assume that, okay, he's going to play with Krejci and Pasternak, and that's where it's going to be. And I think that he has taken the move to the third line really, really well. You know, I think he even said himself, he doesn't consider it a demotion that he's going to be willing to do whatever it is to help the team. And I just think that that speaks to the great leadership core in Boston that he is, he came here, you know, kind of being some people thought that he was a bad teammate and some people thought that he wasn't a team player. And, you know, he comes here and I think you, you're around that leadership culture and it just, you know, make something click. And I'm not saying that Taylor was ever a bad teammate because I think that those type of thought, those type of rumors or comments were, were overblown, but I just think that he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, coming to this team, you know, not having a me first attitude that I'm going to do what's best for the team. And he's flourished. I mean, I think that as someone who has watched him throughout his NHL career, playing with a couple of different teams, this is the best version of Taylor Hall that I've ever seen. And I know that, yes, he scored 90 points, won an MVP a couple of years ago, but the way that he's playing offensively, the way that he's doing all the right things, doing all the right things in a, not just an offensive standpoint, but a defensive standpoint. He's been a really good, solid, underrated defensive performer ever since he got here. And, you know, he's a great skater, puts pucks on net, but I think you know, having him play with Frederick is, I think, a really great thing for both of those players' developments. And um, I think, you know, geez, anytime you have, you know, the top-end talent of Bergeron, Marchand, Krejci, Pasternak, and you have the ability to put someone like Taylor Hall on a third line, I mean, that's just ridiculous. You know, <laughs> what what... As a as a as a, as an opposing coach, you know what do you do defensively with that? You know, having to deal with, you know, five unbelievable, unbelievably talented offensive players, and they're spread out along three lines. You know, how do you decide who to defend against? And I think, you know, that speaks to something that Sean Montgomery and I talked about a couple weeks ago. That it's giving you the ability to play. Taylor Hall, Charlie Coyle against, you know, kind of better matchups against like those third pairing defensemen that maybe are not as good defensively as maybe, you know, a top pair or a second pair of the Bruins with the ability to put out talented guys on every single line. You know, it's a nightmare for opposing coaches. So I think that, you know, the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for moving Taylor Hall to the third line, but I think Taylor deserves 
a lot of credit for taking it in stride and being like, okay, this is maybe what's going to be best for my game. This is going to be what's best for the team. So I think he deserves a lot of credit. I think, you know, some of these recent games the Bruins have been playing against better competition, the Bruins have really responded. You know, I think that this is your smack dab in the middle of this nine-game stretch, and the Bruins are 4-1. Are and one. You know, the only loss, that road loss to Florida the night before Thanksgiving. So, you know, they've responded in a bunch of different games. You know, responded really well to being down in Tampa Bay last week in... No, not last week, the week before. Um, being down at home against Carolina and coming back. You know, the Bruins really had their way against uh, Colorado on Saturday. Obviously not a fully healthy Colorado team, but still a team that can put out Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. Still a really good team in my book. So uh, the Bruins will get another crack at them, I think, later this week. Uh, Bruins will finish off kind of their home part of this tough stretch tonight against Vegas. So the Bruins, you know, keep passing tests against these good teams, and I think it's great to see. So, you know, you hope that that continues tonight. But I think, obviously, a lot of big storylines um, with this game tonight against Vegas and a team that you got to play again in less than a week. So curious to see how they play. You know, obviously, Bruce Cassidy returning to the Garden Definitely going to be a bit of a kind of a maybe an emotional game, but I think that you have confidence in this Bruins team that yes, they understand that this will be emotional, but I think you're confident in the leadership group that okay, you're not going to let emotions you know affect the way you play the game. You know that you want to be able to be focused and play the team in front of you, no matter who the coach is, no matter who's on the other team. So. But it's going to be a really fun game to watch. I think it's going to be good. Um, I think Jack Eichel is kind of a game-time decision, so really fingers crossed. Hope that he plays. I think just from an uh, entertainment perspective, I would like to see him play. You want to see you want to see your team playing the best team with the best players, so, or you know, one of the best teams, I should say. So it'll be another good test. You know, Bruins, though, will go on the road after this game, Wednesday night in Colorado. Friday night in Arizona, and then next Sunday night in Vegas. So that'd be a pretty important um, next, you know, next four. You know, some of these games on the road, Bruins obviously have been excellent at home, you know, haven't lost a game. So very curious to see how they do on the road against a couple of pretty good teams. You know, Arizona, I wouldn't consider a good team, but I think they're a team that can't surprise you. Bruins will make their... Uh, first trip to the uh, college hockey arena in, uh, in in Arizona. So that'll be interesting uh, Friday night. So both of those games this week are at 9.30, um, 8 o'clock start next Sunday in Vegas. So uh, Derek Forbert did return to the lineup last week against Tampa Bay. I think it was against Tampa Bay. Um, made his debut. Bruins win that game 3-1. Taylor Hall scored twice in that game. Uh, good to see Forbert return. Good to see that penalty kill kind of get back to normal. Bruins, I believe, Saturday for the first time in like seven or eight games did not allow a power play goal. Um, so good to see him back. Um, 
you know, as far as other kind of Bruins things, I mean, I think that Anton Strahlman was sent down to Providence. Not clear if he's going to report there. So, um, you know, no news on Mike Riley, you know, still down in Providence. I mean, you'd think the Bruins are going to try to find him a trade partner because, you know, Bruins have tried to put him on waivers twice and he's passed through. So, um, and Strahlman, you know, also passed through as well. So, you know, I'd be curious to see kind of what shakes out there. You know, I would assume the Bruins are going to try to recoup some draft capital, but I guess I'd be surprised with, you know, Riley going through waivers twice and no one claiming him. You know, does someone really want to give up a draft pick? So, you know, we'll see. Maybe the Bruins can get, you know, a low-level prospect out of someone. Who knows? But that'll be interesting to watch. But, yeah, some road games for the Bruins this week. So I think that's going to do it. I think we're going to move on. I'm going to talk to or talk about the uh, Patriots coming off a uh, pretty disappointing loss against the Bills on Thursday night. Uh, kind of a game that I think a lot of people have a lot of uh, big opinions about this game, and you know, rightfully so. I think it's been it's been a tough few days, you know, having to deal with you know, all kind of the negativity. And it's like, look, the Patriots did not play well in this game. And I think that that's fair for people to be kind of upset about how that game went. You know, the Bills pretty much did what they wanted in this game. I mean, I think, yeah, some people think the score is not indicative of how the game went, that the Bills, you know, should have won by more. But I think that the Patriots' defense honestly didn't play that badly. You know, Josh Allen was able to, you know, escape on that touchdown, um, on that touchdown pass to um, Gabe Davis, you know, which is probably the most disappointing play of the game that the Patriots just, the defensive backs literally stop playing in the end zone. And it's just, you can't do that against Josh Allen. You can't do that against a quarterback that is known for improvising and you know, making plays when there's nothing there. So I think that was disappointing. But, you know, I think, again, this is a team that struggles to score. And, you know, against a team like Buffalo, you have to take advantage of your opportunities. Um, And the Patriots really, other than that great uh, play call, getting Marcus Jones the ball, getting him out in space and scoring a touchdown, Other than that play, the Patriots really couldn't do much of anything on offense. You know, Ramondre Stevenson couldn't really do much running the football. I mean, the Patriots were down a lot in this game. So, you know, it's kind of hard to keep running the football. Patriots were also pretty thin at the running back position as Damian Harris was out. You know, Patriots were also missing their starting right tackle, their starting tackle, Isaiah Wynn. Uh, Yadni Kajust was also out the backup tackle. So Connor McDermott, who was picked up literally off the street in the middle of the week, played right tackle. And, you know, not really much of a surprise. The offensive line, you know, was, was struggling. And, you know, again, you have to take advantage of opportunities. Patriots had a huge opportunity. You know, 17-7, Josh Uche gets around the edge, sacks Allen, forces a fumble, Patriots get the football around midfield, and it's just, that was a critical point in the game. And the Patriots come away with no points. 
Um, and I think at that point, for me, that was enough to see that, okay, you know, they're probably not coming back. Um, because it's like, again, when you have a good team and you get an opportunity, you need to capitalize. And, you know, look, if the Patriots didn't score a touchdown on that drive, so be it, but you needed to get some points. And, you know, I'm not really sure what happened calling those two timeouts on back-to-back plays. Patriots settle for a long field goal. Nick Folk misses. Um, you know, I think when you look at a draw on second and one, I know a lot of people have issues with that. Again, when a play is executed properly and works the way it works, then it's like, that's all it is. But it's just, I think... People get bogged down on a specific play call. Something goes wrong, and it's like, oh, that's a bad play call. And it's just, I don't think it was. I think a draw on second and one to try to move the chains quickly, you know, and get up to the line and spike it is probably what they were going to do. So, you know, you can't pick it up, and then you have to call a timeout. You know, you sneak for it, have to call another timeout. And, you know, it just is kind of a mess, I think, um, in terms of their offensive game. And I just think that... You know, I kind of don't know what's going to go on the rest of the season. Um, I think that, you know, obviously the line was really, really bad in this game. The Bills, even without Von Miller, were able to get, not get get to Mac Jones because they only had one sack, but I think make things really uncomfortable. And, you know, the running game really couldn't do much, and the Patriots really for the most part, really couldn't move the ball. So, you know, I just, I kind of, I kind of don't know, you know, it's kind of a crossroads for this team and, you know, six and six is not the absolute worst thing in the world. I mean, the Patriots could be the Denver Broncos. They could be three and nine in position for a top five draft pick, but it's like, this is where they are right now. And I think that, you know, you have five games left. Yeah, they're going to be very tough games, but it's just like, are you really just going to give up? You know, there are five games to go. You're six and six. You're still in the thick of the playoff chase. You know, you may not be in control of your own destiny necessarily, but you're still in it. And I just think that, yeah, it's easy to look at that performance and be like, you know, yeah, they suck. Like they're done for the year. And I just like, I'm, I'm thinking that that's just, that can't be it. Um, And I think that the leaders in that locker room, they understand that there's still a lot of time left. You know, I think a lot of us aren't necessarily confident in what they're doing offensively, but I mean, what, what other choice do we have? You know, and as Bill Belichick said this morning, I think he was doing his weekly interview on WEI, you know, said that they're not going to look to change anything drastic on the offensive side. And, you know... As much as people may get upset with that statement, I kind of, I tend to agree. You know, you have five games left. Like, what are you really going to do that's going to, you know, just change things overnight? You know, sure, you could, in theory, give the play calling duties to someone else or, you know, change up a, you know, tweak the scheme. But it's like, these guys have spent the entire, you know, preseason, training camp, regular season, implementing an offense and it's just it's not that easy to just change to do something else and be like oh call more plays down the field or 
you know, whatever it is people are suggesting. And look, calling more plays down the field, they may actually be able to do that. Um, but I think they're not going to be wildly changing anything schematically because it's just not, you can't do that with five games to go. You just don't have enough time, really. So I don't know. You just got to hope that they can pull things together, that, you know, they can play against some weaker defenses. You know, Arizona's kind of okay, I guess. Um, but Vegas, you know, they're a terrible defense. So, look, they're not out of it. They're five games left. You know, we'll take a look at the playoff standings um, after we do the NFL scores. But they're not out of it. You know, there are five games left. Like, you can't just give up. Despite all the issues that they have offensively, despite what people want to say about Matt Patricia ruining Mac Jones or whatever whatever you want to say, you still have to go out and play. You know, playoffs are still on the table. You know, you got some winnable games coming up. You know, you got an Arizona team that is just kind of all over the place in terms of where they've been the entire season. You know, with injuries, with, you know, whatever distractions that they have, whatever. And then you're playing in a Vegas team that, is statistically one of the worst teams in the league. So, or one of the worst defensive defenses in the league. So, look, there are opportunities. You know, you just got to be able to put a game like that behind you and, you know, just go forward. But I think, I don't think that Mac Jones is kind of the issue with the offense. And I think that that's pretty clear, you know, if you've watched the team in the last couple of weeks that he's played. He's playing better and smarter football. Sure, is he missing some throws? Absolutely, but that happens. Um, but I think he's not someone that I think is the issue. You know, I think the Patriots tried to implement a new system and a new offense, and, you know, 12 games into the season, I think it's clear that it's not really worked. You know, it's had its moments, but, you know, clearly when you're going up against a team like Buffalo, you need the offense to be able to perform, and you have such small margin for error. So, you know, I really don't know what's going to change, but, you know, you have five games. You know, th this is not like this was a, you know, week 15 game and you got eliminated from the playoffs. You're still very much in it. So, you know, this is not the time to be like, oh, you know, everything's over, sky's falling. It's like, you know, you can make the playoffs in the AFC at 9-8. and eight. And I think that, you know, it's not out of the question that the Patriots could win three of their last five, but they have to be, they have to be better um, on offense. You know, one of the things that I think was interesting, a lot of people want to, you know, point to Mac Jones getting angry on the sideline. And look, I think it's good because I think it tells you that he's engaged. And he understands what's going on. And, you know, he has some of that, some fire, you know, that he'll get, you know, irritated when things are not working the way that he thinks that they should work. And so, you know, you got to hope that they try to implement a little bit more downfield passing. But then again, if you have an offensive line that can't really protect you, you can't really, you can't really do much of that, to be perfectly honest. So... You know, they're having issues on the line. No one's healthy, really. You know, I think 
David Andrews is back, but Trent Brown clearly was battling through something the last two games. You know, you've had, obviously, two offensive tackles that were not available Thursday night, and, you know, you had to play someone off the street. So, you know, it's just disappointing that it's gotten to this point. But again, there are five games. You have five more games, you know. You can't really just throw in the towel because, trust me, there are other teams that are 6-6 six and six or worse, you know, and they're playing like their season is on the line. you got to play like one of those teams. You know, this is not the Tom Brady Patriots. And I think people kind of keep forgetting that, that this is a team that they got to be able to grind it out. You know, you don't have a quarterback right now that's going to be able to save you from all the issues that you have. You have to work with what you got. And this is what they have. You know, you're 6-6 six and six with five games to go. You know, forget about what has happened the entire season. You go out and you do the best you can for five games and see what happens. So that's kind of where I'm at with this team. Um, you know, I think if we want to look forward and look into next season and beyond, you know, I think it's clear that this is a team that is in need of a, you know, offensive coordinator or offensive person or whoever that is a little bit more experienced um, on the offensive side. And I think that's what they need, you know, and whether that's Bill O'Brien or someone else, I mean, to me, it doesn't matter. I just think that you need to have someone in charge of the offense and play calling that has an offensive background. You know, I think that it would be fair to keep Matt Patricia on the staff having coached the offensive line because I think that that's his experience level. You know, you probably keep Joe Judge where he's at as a quarterback's coach, but you bring in someone else that, you know, can kind of be that de facto offensive coordinator. Don't care about titles, but you bring in someone with an offensive mind, someone that can help Mac Jones and kind of work with him to implement the kind of stuff that Mac wants to run. You know, you give him a little bit more, I don't want to say leeway, but you give him a little bit more input um, in what the team is running. And I think you do that, and I think that you're, you know, in, uh, go, you're on the right track. Uh, so I think that's really all I'm going to say about that. Um, you know, clearly what they've tried to implement this season hasn't worked. You know, and I think that I was one of those people that I kind of thought it would be fine. But, you know, obviously it's not necessarily worked that way. And I think, you know, yeah, there have been some things that have made this offense a little bit more complicated. Or there there have been wrenches thrown into plans. You know, Mac missed three games with the injury. You have had an offensive line that's just kind of been okay all season. And I think... You know, you got to be able to, I don't know, you know, it's hard because this is a team that I think talent-wise, they can absolutely make a run, but it's just, you know, it needs to be, they need to be players that you have that need to be, you know, utilized properly, I guess. Um, but look, I mean, again, you know, the, this is what the Patriots are right now, like it or not. And I think, you know, yeah. Would you like for this team to be an offensive juggernaut that can score, you know, 30 points a game and never feel like they're out of a game? Absolutely. But I think, 
it's just not who they are. And I think there are some people that kind of still expect that they should be that type of team. And they're just not, you know, I don't, I don't know. And I think that some people that have, you know, big, wild, crazy opinions, I think are people that just, you know, I don't know, look at that 20 year run and think that that is, you know, it's like that way to build a team is easy. You know, that it's easy to build a playoff contender, a Super Bowl contender and things like that, you know, but that's just kind of a conversation for another day. But, um, you know, obviously we'll talk more about this team next Monday uh, before their Monday night game with the Cardinals. Um, so I think that's probably it for the Patriots. Going to move on, talk a little bit about the Celtics, um, who continue to play uh, some great basketball at TD Garden. You know, did unfortunately lose to the Heat on Friday night, but this is a team that had an outstanding offensive performance last Monday, scoring 140 points, Tatum at 35, and then Tatum was outstanding against the Heat on Wednesday. Celtics played uh, two games against the Heat this week, Wednesday night. Jason Tatum at 49 points, 11 rebounds. Celtics came up with some big clutch shots down the stretch, beat the Heat, and then unfortunately, you know, the Heat came in Friday night, pissed off after losing Wednesday night, and, you know, Jimmy Butler took the game over in fourth quarter and overtime. Jalen Brown was amazing in this game, hit that unbelievable three-point shot to tie the game, force it to overtime, and Jimmy Butler just did what Jimmy Butler did in that uh, end of overtime. But, you know, I think that, look, if you wanted to get upset about that game, that's fair. But this is the Heat. You know, this is a team that you went to a Game 7 with last year. They still have a sour taste in their mouth. You know, you've played three games against them this year, and all three of them have been pretty damn good games. So, you know, it's just a, a team that's tough. You know, just like it's going to be against the Bucks when the Celtics play them Christmas Day, when they play them, you know, again, I'm presuming later in the season. So, you know, it's a team that's going to be chasing you. And I think I'm not surprised. You know, you have two games against the same team, same court. You know, it's basically, you know, after you won the first game, the second game was a grudge match. So it's like, it's not really much of a surprise that the Heat won that game. You know, obviously you would have liked the Celtics to, make more plays down the stretch and be able to win. But the Heat are a good team. You know, no matter what their record says, they're a team that's going to be hard to beat. So, you know, there's not a whole lot to be upset with with those games. Um, you know, Jason Tatum obviously was not very good on Friday night, and that was a little bit of a concern. He was kind of just okay last night in Brooklyn, but Jalen Brown was unbelievable in this game. He was a outstanding, you know, two-way game. Um, had some steals, had some great blocks. Celtics were awesome defensively in this game. This was probably their best defensive game of the season. Uh, Brooklyn shot just over 40% of the game. Celtics didn't exactly play great offensively, but they did enough to get it done. Tatum and Brown were excellent in the fourth quarter. Um, I think that the Celtics made a great coaching adjustment in the fourth quarter, um, You know, doubling Kevin Durant, being a little bit more aggressive came up with a number of big steals, especially especially late in the game. Um, the Celtics pulled away to beat the Nets in their first meeting this season, 103-92. Celtics improve 
to 19 and 5. So it just continues to be a really excellent start. But I think the Celtics won that game last night because of defense. And I think without Rob Williams, you have to have guys that are going to be a little bit more, you know, extra motivated to play at a high level defensively. And that's exactly what you saw last night. You had guys up and down the lineup that were making great defensive efforts. You know, Marcus Smart, obviously Rob Williams, both unavailable for that game. You had guys like Sam Hauser chasing down and blocking layup attempts. It's like, it was unbelievable to see that. Like, I didn't know that Sam Hauser could do that. You know, I didn't know that he was that, you know, athletic, that he was able to chase down TJ Warren and block his shot. And I was like, whoa, who is this? You know, but it just goes to show you that when the Celtics are motivated and they're locked in, especially defensively, they're 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 a very hard team to beat. You know, it's just they just have so many, you know, not to not to quote Ime from beginning of the season last year, but the Celtics have some dogs. You know, you got Marcus Smart, you got Derek White, you know. You got Jalen Brown, who can get back and play defense. I know that defensively he's not necessarily had a great season defensively, but he showed up last night. Um, you know, it was great to see how well he played. Um, Brogdon played really well. I think offensively wasn't, you know, perfect, but it's like he always knocks down threes at key moments. Had eight assists last night. You know, Tatum, I think, despite not performing great in the first three quarters, was solid in the fourth, came up with some steals, had 11 rebounds, had 29 points. Um, but... <laughs> This is a good team. You know, this is a really good team that, you know, they can be without key players and still perform well. You know, you saw that with, um, I think it was games last week that, you know, Tatum and Brown sat like different games and were still able to, the team was still able to win games. You know, Tatum didn't play one game, Brown stepped up and then the you know, other way around. So it's just great to see this team's depth. And yeah, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, talking about the Celtics after the Bruins, that both teams just have outstanding depth. And the Celtics can have the ability to bring in someone like Peyton Pritchard sparingly, you know, for a little portion of time in the, you know, second quarter, or third quarter, whatever it was. Um, and he can provide a spark. He can score a little bit. He can, you know, play with that min play with that intensity. And I think that you can bring him off the bench. You can bring Sam Hauser. You can bring Luke Cornett, and you can not be concerned about any of these guys. That all these guys are going to play hard. They're going to, you know, do what they do best. You know, bring their skill set to the table, and you know, not try to do too much. Not try to do what you know, they're not good at, you know, so it's just unbelievable to think that Rob Williams will return to this team soon, and they're just going to be even, even deeper, you know, and they even have someone like Blake Griffin off the bench who, you know, can start if you need him to, but he's not a guy that really even needs to play big minutes, you know, he's a guy that can, you know, be on the be on the bench, be a good mentor to a lot of the Celtics players, and you forget that Tatum and Brown are still somewhat young players, and 
you know, Blake's a guy who's been through a lot of battles, has seen a lot in the NBA, and he can be a good voice to those guys, but, you know, younger guys like Cornette and Pritchard and, you know, guys that are still trying to find their way in the NBA. So it's just hits huts all smiles for this Celtics team. They've been really fun to watch. You know, offensively, they've been great, you know, not to spend too much time on Blake Griffin, but that was uh, pretty awesome to see him throw down a dunk last week um, in a blowout win against the Hornets. You know, he can still get up. He can still get up for dunks every once in a while. So um, it's just great to see so many different guys playing at such high levels night in and night out. You know, you see someone like Derek White, who's been unbelievable the last, you know, seven, eight games, averaging like, 15, 16 a game, shooting close to 50% from three-point range. And it's like he has become like a really good knockdown three-point shooter. You know, that's someone who you didn't really expect that from. He's a guy that, you know, career-wise doesn't shoot a really high percentage of threes, but it's just simple for him. Knock down, make threes. Grant Williams has been awesome, you know, making threes off the bench. You know, it's just... You have so many guys who have so many different, we have so many guys that can perform. This team is so many different ways that they can beat you. Um, and I think it just was great to see a good, you know, a pair of good offensive performances early last week and then a good defensive performance last night. So things are really starting to pick up, but, you know, things will get very interesting for the Celtics over the next, you know, week plus as they have. Um, or have started their season-long six-game road trip, obviously started last night in Brooklyn with the win. Celtics go to Toronto tonight, which should be a really good game. Toronto is always a team that plays the Celtics hard. Celtics always have a tough time winning up there, so that should be a good game. Then the Celtics go out west, Phoenix on Wednesday, and then Golden State next Saturday. So, And then it continues next week with matchups against the Clippers and the Lakers. So if you're one of those night owls, you will enjoy some of uh, some of these late games later this week and next week as, you know, Phoenix is a 10 o'clock start, 8.30 start against Golden State, 10.30 against the Clippers, 10 o'clock against the Lakers. So it should be a really fun trip to see how the Celtics do against some of the top teams. Phoenix is going to be a good game. Uh, Toronto, obviously, tonight will be a good game. Golden State will be interesting to see how they play there, you know, Clippers, and then the Lakers, always fun to be able to play the Lakers, so that will be interesting, and then the Celtics come back home for seven in a row, so that will be interesting to see how they come back after um, a road trip that could be kind of difficult, so, you know, this is a Celtics team that has only lost two games, three games on the road this season, so they will be definitely tested in some of these games, Toronto and Phoenix especially. So looking forward to that. The Celtics also announced earlier in the week that Al Horford had uh, been extended as he is still on the final year of his uh, four-year contract that he signed with the Sixers a couple of years ago. Um, and then the Celtics have extended his contract, signing him for two more years at $20 million. So I'm assuming it's $10 million a season. So really excellent uh, piece of work by the Celtics. Um, you know, Al wants to be here, wants to build something. And, you know, the way that he is so well-conditioned 
it would not be a surprise if he's able to play, you know, two more seasons, you know, as a guy that is conditioned really well. The Celtics do a great job of, you know, utilizing him in a proper way, not having him play too many minutes. So I think it's a really um, good thing. It's a good thing to have him around. And I think, you know, making such a small amount of money, you know, he and Rob Williams are going to be making, you know, 21 million for the next two seasons. And that's just like, or the two seasons after this season. And that's just, you know, a ridiculous value for both of these guys that are still really good players. Al Horford's still a really good player at his age. And then, you know, Rob Williams, I think when healthy is one of the, if not the most dominant big man in the game. And yeah, I, I said it. I said it. <laughs> um, but it just is great to have Al around, you know, such a great veteran influence. And I think just a guy that enjoys playing for the Celtics, enjoys playing for this city. And I think, you know, everyone around here loves him. You know, I think plays the game the right way. Um, you know, hustles, makes plays, you know, knocks down his shots. And it's just kind of wild because he has played this consistent level for almost his entire career. So... Great to have him back in the fold for the next two seasons. That was something I was kind of curious to watch to watch for, you know, what they would do with his next contract. But it's great they could get it done because Grant Williams really is the only player that the Celtics need to kind of come to terms with in the offseason as he is a restricted free agent. I know that there was some report the other day that the Heat might be interested in signing him, but that report did not come from... I don't want to say I'm not, not a reputable source, but, you know, I tend to only kind of take um, rumors or take rumors from people that are, you know, not like the top of the field with a little bit of a grain of, grain of salt, you know, and not to say that it's not true because it's certainly true that the, the Heat could have interest in a player like Grant and it's like, who wouldn't, you know, he's a really good, solid defender guy that can knock down threes, so it doesn't surprise me, it doesn't really bother me, because I think, and I don't know if this is confirmed, but I would imagine the Celtics would match any offer that he would get, you know, unless it's like something crazy, but it's like, you know, I think the Celtics do want to have Grant around, and I think signing him, you know, would not be something that's going to, you know, be a financial blow to the team, like you would think that they'd be willing to spend more into the tax to uh, to keep him because he's a valuable player. So I think that's probably it for the Celtics. We're going to talk a little bit about the Red Sox. They've made a couple of signings uh, for relief pitchers. The first one, uh, this Red Sox, excuse me, uh, signed Dodgers reliever Chris Martin to a two, I believe it was a two-year deal. Um, he is a pretty big guy. He's 6'8", 225, a uh, relief pitcher, right-handed, um, pitched in, uh, pitched actually for two teams this year, for the Cubs and the Dodgers, uh, in 26 games with the Dodgers this season, 3-1 and one with a 1.46 ERA, in 24 and two-thirds inning, only had one walk in that uh, appearance, 34 strikeouts, so had a pretty good um, strikeout rate. 
Um, he's 36, has been around, played for a bunch of different teams, including uh, Broken with the Rockies, played with the Yankees, the Rangers, the Braves. So he has spent most of his career in Atlanta, but then was in Chicago last season and then for uh, the Dodgers. So part uh, part of last season with the Dodgers and the Cubs. So I think it's a pretty solid signing. You know, nothing crazy, but, you know, I think the Red Sox definitely needed to, you know, upgrade the bullpen, get some more arms in there, get, you know, different arms in there um, and just see how they do. So I like this signing. You know, Martin's a guy that can get guys out, can strike guys out. And I think that that's, you know, really important. You need to have bullpen guys that you can count on. Um, to get guys out. The Red Sox also signed a uh, former Mets reliever, uh, Joely Rodriguez, who is a uh, relief pitcher, uh, left-handed pitcher uh, for the Mets last season, appeared in 55 games, was 2-4 and four with a 4.47 ERA, 50 and one-thirds innings. You know, uh, walk and... Walk and hits, or walks and hits, were a little bit high for him. You know, he's not really, has never really been a high leverage reliever, but I think a decent arm to have in there. Um, had 57 strikeouts in the 50 and a thirds innings for the Mets. It's also a pitch for the Rangers, the Phillies, and the Yankees. He actually uh, was with the Rangers, then was traded to the Yankees. Um, at the trade deadline last year, um, and then appeared in 21 games for the Yankees, had a 2.84 ERA. So, you know, I think that he's just kind of one of those lefty relievers that, you know, you kind of, you kind of I don't want to say you don't know what you're going to get, but it's like a guy that I think either is going to be a great signing or it's kind of not going to be good. You know, you hope that he can kind of step into that Matt Strom role and be able to pitch in a bunch of different situations. Um, you know, 31 years old, been around in the majors, so, you know, you kind of see what you can get, but I'm glad the Red Sox are making decisions to bring in reliever, or relievers that are just different. You know, you need different arms. You need to kind of remake that bullpen, so you kind of hope that that continues to happen um, for the Red Sox. You know, obviously there's been a lot of reports recently about Sander Bogarts, and the Red Sox still um, yet to sign him, you know, yet to make a competitive offer. You know, now I don't really know what to make of that, you know, whether that means are the Red Sox really, you know, not interested or is it some kind of negotiation tactic? You know, who knows? Um, but I think really it's hard to know until something happens, you know, whether the Red Sox sign him or not. You know, I think that I've made it pretty clear on this podcast that, they need to resign him, and I think it's the easiest way for this team to be a contending team is to bring him back, to bring you know Devers back, sign him to a long-term deal, and you can have the you know dependability with three guys in your infield, Devers, Bogarts, and Story, that can be there for the foreseeable future. That you don't have to you know, get cute and sign different guys and throw them in there. It's just like the easiest decision would just be to have both of these guys back so that you don't have to think about it. And it's just, it's it's frustrating, but it's like, it's not surprising when you look at this 
you know, ownership group and whoever has been running the team over the last couple of years, you know, and Heim Bloom, you can put some blame on him because he's been here for, you know, a couple of years. But I think honestly, when you look at the free agents that they've signed, it's like, it's kind of more on the ownership side that they've kind of made decisions on which players to sign, which players not to sign, which players to give ridiculous amounts of money to, you know, and which players to lowball. And it's just, I have no faith in them that they're going to be able to, you know, bring back the guys that this baseball team needs. You know, I just, I have no faith in this. And so it's just, yeah, like I want to have Bogarts back, me personally. I would love to have him back the easiest way again for them to get back in contention is to bring him back, sign Devers to a long-term deal. That's the easiest way. You know, if they choose to not go that route, it's going to be a lot more difficult. You know, and I'm not saying that I would be against that. You know, they need to bring in really good players. You know, at the end of the day, I don't... Maybe this is going to sound bad, but at the end of the day, I don't care who's on this team as long as they're a winning team. You know, but it's like the easier way to be a winning team is to bring back the guys that you know, the guys that you know enjoy playing here, the guys that you know are well-adjusted to playing baseball in this city. And it's like, you don't want to bring in the wrong guy and find out that they can adjust to playing baseball, playing sports in this city. Because this baseball market is not for everyone. And we've seen that time and time again with big-name free agent contracts or big-name free agent players that they brought in. David Price, you know, Pablo Sandoval, Carl Crawford. You know, those are three guys right there that did not adjust well to their time playing here. You know, and I think David Price probably did the best out of those three, but, you know, I don't really think that he necessarily enjoyed his time here. Um, And I just think that, again, this baseball market is not for everyone. And it's like, why don't you just bring the guys in that, you know, know what it's like to play here? Because it's like, you're going to look really stupid if you bring in, you know, someone like Dansby Swanson, for example, and he does poorly here. And he doesn't respond well to all all the negativity that he'll get if he plays poorly. And it's just, I don't really think you want to take that chance. Why don't you just go with what you know is going to work rather than taking a chance on something that may not work. So, you know, that's just kind of my feelings on it. And, you know, you got to hope that this team makes the right decision because, you know, in theory, they've said all the right things. They've said that Bogarts is their top priority. So I guess I kind of don't know what to make of these recent reports. But, you know, who knows? Hopefully the Red Sox make the right decision, bring him back, and we don't have to, you know, cross our fingers and hope that some free agent addition is going to have to, you know, come in and replace him, so to speak. So, you know, that's kind of it on the Red Sox. We're going to get to a little bit of NFL Week 13, go through the scores. Um, Obviously, we'll take a look at the standings after we get through the scores. So, um, obviously, Thursday night game, we've already covered that. Bills win against the Patriots 24-10 and improve to 9-3. And we'll take a look at games that were played yesterday. Uh, The Steelers 
come back. Or did they come back? No, they held the lead. They held off the Falcons to win 19-16. to And the Steelers are all of a sudden kind of back in the AFC playoff picture. They improved to 5-7. and seven. Kenny Pickett with the touchdown pass. And the Steelers beat the Falcons. Falcons fall to 5-8. and eight. And the Packers getting some uh, late-game magic from Christian Watson as he had a touchdown run and a touchdown catch in the Packers' 28-19 win. Justin Fields, two interceptions for the Bears as they fall to 3-10. Packers improve to 5-8. The Lions are making things interesting in the NFC as they blow out the Jaguars 40-14. Jared Goff, 340 yards and two touchdowns. Amon Ross, St. Brown had two touchdown receptions in this game. <clears throat> so, Jaguars fall to 4-8, Lions are at 4-7. Uh, the Vikings beat the Jets yesterday, holding off a late comeback attempt. <clears throat> and the Vikings improved to 10-2, 27-22, beating the Jets. <clears throat> The Commanders and the Giants go to overtime. No one could score, so it ends in a tie. And Commanders 7-5-1, Giants 7-4-1. Good game for for Washington, Taylor Heineke. Two touchdown passes, one to Terry McLaurin. So kind of just a game that, you know, went down to the wire. No one could score, and then no one scored in the overtime. So, you know, ties are, are still stupid, in my opinion. You know, I think it's... Just a complete waste of time that they need to find some way to find winners in these games. It's just, I just think it's unnecessary and I don't really understand, you know, why it needs to be. I just think that, yes, okay, fine. If you're going to have rules different in the regular season, different in the postseason, that's fine. But it just should make it whoever scores first. You know, I think that they really need to go back to that, you know, in the regular season at least. It's just like you need you need a way to de- decide a winner, you know. And okay, maybe you do something like, you know, college football that you. I think that, in college football, it's like after two overtimes, you just do alternating two point plays. And I think the NFL should look at doing something like that. Um, that they should just do that after the overtime. If it's still tied, you just do alternating two point plays, or something like that. Because there needs there needs to be a winner. There should be a winner. You know, ties are, ties are stupid in the NFL. It just, it just never makes sense to me. So, you know, I'm sure we'll have another tie before the season is over. I'm sure of that. <laughs> the Eagles dominating the Titans 35-10. to um, A.J. Brown, Jalen Hurts, just unbelievable to watch the two of them perform. The Eagles improved to 11-1. Titans fall to 7-5. The Ravens with a win over the Broncos, 10-9. Tyler Huntley came in for the injured Lamar Jackson. Ravens improved to 8-4. Broncos 3-9 with the loss. Uh, The Ravens losing Lamar Jackson in this game to injury, but it doesn't sound like the injury is um, season-ending for Lamar Jackson. The Browns with three touchdowns from... The special teams and defense to beat the Texans. Browns improved to five and seven. Deshaun Watson made his first 
um, made his first appearance with the Browns. They win 27-14. to The Seahawks outlasting the Rams 27-23. Seahawks with a game-winning touchdown in the final minute. Geno Smith for DK Metcalf. So Seahawks improved to 7-5. Rams are 3-9. 49ers get the win, although they lost Jimmy Garoppolo for the season with a broken foot. They beat the Dolphins 33-17. Brock Purdy, the final pick in the NFL draft this past year, um, is now the starting quarterback. So a good win for the 49ers <clears throat> as they won their fifth straight game. The Raiders outlasting the Chargers 27-20. Two touchdown receptions for Devontae Adams. Big game for Josh Jacobs, and the Raiders are starting to play some good football as they have won three straight games. The Bengals beating the Chiefs in a really good game um, in Cincinnati yesterday. Bengals improved to eight and four. Joe Burrow, two touchdown pass. Two touchdown passes. Bengals outlast the Chiefs. Um, and the Cowboys uh, destroying the Colts on Sunday Night Football last night, 54-19. <clears throat> Big game for uh, the Cowboys running game. 33 points in the fourth quarter, if you can believe that. Tony Pollard, two rushing touchdowns for the Cowboys to improve to 9-3. The Cardinals and the Panthers with bye weeks this past week. Um, and then tonight, Monday Night Football, the Saints and the Buccaneers from Tampa Bay. So I think we're going to look at the standings, take a look at where things stand in the playoff standings. Buffalo still the top team in the AFC as they have a tiebreaker over the Chiefs based on the head-to-head winning percentage. So uh, Bill's the top seed, Chiefs the third, Chiefs the second. Excuse me, Ravens are the third seed, Titans are the four seed. Um, and then the three wild cards are the Bengals, the Dolphins, and the Jets, Patriots, and the Chargers, just one game back of that final playoff spot. It is worth noting with the Jets' loss to, or I think with the Jets' loss to Minnesota, it now makes things interesting as the Patriots are just a game behind the Jets, but also they have a tiebreaker over the Jets, so that could be pretty important. Um, coming down the stretch, Patriots also have a tiebreaker over the car over the uh, Chargers, excuse me, uh, based on winning percentage and conference games. So the Patriots have to hope that they continue to win um, the conference games. Uh, they won't have a conference game until the 18th against the Raiders. In the NFC, Philadelphia, Minnesota, still the top two teams, followed by San Francisco, Tampa Bay, and then the wildcard teams, Dallas, New York, and Seattle, Washington, right there behind Seattle, thanks to their tie. They are still kind of in the playoff chase. The Bears and the Texans, I think, were officially eliminated from playoff contention already, so no real surprise there. So I think we're going to take a look at some notes from around uh, the NHL. Take a look at first, and then we'll hop back to the NBA. The 
Detroit Red Wings' Tyler Bertuzzi is out for six weeks after hand surgery. Steven Stamkos um, hit 1,000 points in Tampa Bay's recent win. I think it was last week, so 1,000 points for him. Um, this was a wild game the other night. The uh, Seattle Kraken and the LA Kings went to overtime. Final score was 9-8. to eight. Crazy, you know, crazy game. Had you thinking back to the 80s when games like that were were common. Um, taking a look at some NHL games tonight, Bruins and Golden Knights, obviously, and then the Blues and the Rangers, the Avalanche and the Flyers at 7 o'clock, Capitals and Oilers at 8.30, Coyotes and Flames at 9, and then Canadiens against the Vancouver Canucks at 10.30. Take a look at the standings so far. Things are pretty interesting here in the NHL. Bruins, obviously, atop the Atlantic. Bruins are not atop the NHL standings, if you can believe that. Uh, Bruins do lead the Atlantic, though, by four points over Toronto um, and then nine points over Tampa Bay. The New Jersey Devils are the top team in the NHL in terms of points. They have 41 points, followed by Carolina with 33 and then New York with 32 in the Metropolitan Division. The wildcard teams at the moment are Pittsburgh and Detroit with uh, Florida one point back of the playoff of a playoff spot, and the Rangers just two points back. In the Western Conference, Vegas still leads the conference. They are first in the Pacific Division with 37 points, followed by the Seattle Kraken with 33 points, and then the LA Kings with 30 points. In the Central, Dallas leads the division with 33 points, followed by Winnipeg with 31, and then Minnesota with 28. In the wildcard spots with the Oilers and the Avalanche, with Nashville just a point back and Calgary two points back of that final playoff spot. I'll take a look at some notes from around the NBA. Uh, Anthony Davis with a monster performance last night with 55 points in the Lakers win over the Wizards. Lakers are starting to play some good, good basketball, so we'll take a look at the standings in a moment. But um, Jose Alvarado, unbelievable in the Pelicans win. Last night over the Nuggets, he had 38 points. And we'll now take a look at the standings, where things stand in the East. Celtics, of course, on top of the East, a two-game lead over the Bucks for first place. The Cavaliers in third place, followed by the Hawks, the Sixers, and the Pacers in those playoff positions. And then in the play-in spots, you have the Raptors, the Nets, the Heat, and the New York Knicks. In the Western Conference, Phoenix leads the conference by a game over the Pelicans, who have been playing great basketball recently. They have won four straight and eight out of ten, so they're just a game out of first place in the Western Western Conference. Denver is in third place, followed by Memphis, Sacramento, and Golden State in terms of the uh, playoff teams. And then the play-in teams are Clippers, the Trailblazers, the Jazz, and the Mavericks. So... Also, is worth noting that there was a there was a reported incident between uh, Trey Young and Nate McMillan of the uh, the Hawks. It was uh, at least made clear that Trey Young did not attend one of the Hawks' most recent games. So, not really sure what to make of that. You know, the Hawks are a team that 
are pretty good, but I think they may not be as good as you would expect. But, you know, 13 and 10 in fourth place in the Eastern Conference, you know, I'm kind of surprised just considering where they're at, but obviously you never know the story behind um, certain things like that. So got to hope things are, things are okay in Atlanta. And I think just some last stuff before we give, before we let you guys go. Uh, the college football playoff was announced um, or the four playoff teams, I should say, uh, were announced yesterday with the selection show. No real surprises, to be perfectly honest. You know, I think that the right four teams got in, whether or not they were seeded properly, you know, maybe that's a different thing. But um, I think I'm not surprised the way that, you know, USC in their conference championship in the Pac-12 were blown out. So they were, you know, dropped from the playoff standings um, and Ohio State took their spot. So Georgia, Michigan, and TCU remained at number, remained at numbers one to three. TCU obviously lost their conference championship, but lost it in in an overtime game in which they made a pretty tremendous comeback. So, you know, no surprises. I think that TCU stayed in, you know, I think they deserve to, and Ohio State, that four spots of the matchups are set for New Year's Eve, um, first at the uh, Fiesta Bowl, Michigan and TCU will play at four o'clock, and then the Peach Bowl will be Georgia and Ohio State from Atlanta, so two pretty good games that I think should be, should be good, and then the uh, championships, obviously, Monday, January 9th. Other bowl games were also announced. Uh, one of the most notable, or the most notable bowl game around here, uh, will take place at Fenway Park, the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, which will be on Saturday, December seventeenth, eleven a.m. And it will be Cincinnati against Louisville. Um, the other kind of the other New Year's Six bowl games, as they're known, um, we'll start with Orange Bowl on December thirtieth. Tennessee against Clemson from Miami. The um, All-State Sugar Bowl will be Alabama against Kansas State. And then the Cotton Bowl will be USC against Tulane. And then the Rose Bowl will be Utah and Penn State. And then obviously the other two near six games are the uh, college football playoff. And then the championship game is January 9th in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. So now we're going to give you guys a little bit of a World Cup update here. Um, the round of 16 began on Saturday morning. Team USA, unfortunately, uh, losing at the hands of the Netherlands 3-1. A lot of chances for Team USA. Had some breakdowns defensively, just was not enough to beat a really good Netherlands side that I think to me personally, is definitely a big threat to win the tournament. So, you know, tough way to go out for Team USA, but, you know, they're a young, experienced team, and I think there should be a lot of reasons to be excited about that next World, World Cup. Um, you know, just too bad that they couldn't um, advance further, but I think an accomplishment at least to get out of the group and, you know, be something for these young guys to build on, um, because most of these guys on that team with the exception of DeAndre Edlin, all those guys had never played in a World Cup before. So, you know, you got to hope it's valuable experience. And, you know, they try to figure out 
what they can do to bring in someone that is a, you know, big-time goal scorer, someone that can be, you know, someone that can finish. So, you know, it's it's a tough loss, but I think they probably did as well as you could expect, you know, for a team that that was, for a team that that was young. So, in the other round of 16 games that have been played, Argentina beat Australia 2-1, to England beat Senegal 3 to nothing, and then France beat Poland 3-1, to so... The uh, two quarterfinal matchups have been set, Netherlands against Argentina and then England against France. There is a game going on as we speak. It is almost halftime. Japan and Croatia. Japan is leading 1-0 just before halftime. And then Brazil and South Korea will play later today. And then there are two games tomorrow. Spain against Morocco. And then Portugal against Switzerland. So I think it's probably going to do it for me this week. I know it was a long episode because there was a lot to get to, but, um, you know, great to be back with you folks this week. Um, Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you on Guest Friday. And as always, you know, you can follow the the Twitter page, the uh, Facebook page, um, and you can listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'll talk to you folks later this week.